0: Hi, I'm Patrick radden a reporter at The New Yorker magazine. On my new podcast, Wind of Change, I investigate a rumor I haven't been able to shake since I first heard it years ago. It came from someone inside the CIA, and the story was that the agency had written one of the best-selling rock songs of all time, a song that changed the world. So that was the tip that started me on this story, and it only got crazier from there. Listen to Wind of Change, a new original series from Pineapple Street Studios, Crooked Media, and Spotify.
1: I think that's my favorite part of working
2: here.
1: your imagination runs wild when you look at uh, what we're doing, and then you start applying
0: it to other, other ideas. You know, the sky is really the limit.
3: After so much infighting over the role of CEO, HQ needed to put a positive spin on its executive shuffle. To make that happen, they invited Carrie Flynn, the CNN reporter we heard from in episode one, to their headquarters. They'd just moved to a new, even flashier Soho office. So it was a good opportunity to frame Colin's new job as a hard reset for the company.
4: In addition to the changing leadership role, they wanted to talk about how much money they had made so far and they wanted to talk about the new game they were launching, HQ Words.
3: HQ had pitched her the story with a tantalizing stat. The company had earned $10 million in revenue via sponsored games thus far. It was notable considering how relatively new and small they were. When Carrie arrived at the office, their PR person showed her to one of their conference rooms. Colin was there in a black HQ branded hoodie. Behind him were two black poster boards. Carrie was kind enough to share her recording of the interview with me.
0: So I just wanted to to introduce you guys. Obviously, I give you the overview on what's going on, but Colin can sort of take it from here and um, introduce himself as CEO.
3: Colin kicked off the meeting with this whole speech about his new role.
0: It's a, product, there's a production component of the business. It's a talent component of the business, and there's a, the business business. Yeah, uh, and there's it's an interesting mix, um, but it's going to be really complicated to, to operate. And yeah. so I think with this change, what we're trying to do is, I mean, like I'm a builder. I have built and you know a lot of software, run a lot of big teams, uh, and my goal is to basically take my skill set of building these things. And apply it to the existing organization so that we can do a bunch of them at the same time. I think Russ is fantastic, creative, and really the thing that we weren't we weren't able to execute on them fast enough.
3: He emphasized that this change in leadership was a decision that he and Russ came to together.
0: So we sort of just mutually agreed that we would reorganize ourselves. Um, I think that he's going to continue to do a lot of the things that he's really great at, Um, and I'm going to try to put some structure around this, this business, which is admittedly, you know, relatively complicated. Yeah.
3: At one point, Kerry asked him about the dipping audience numbers, and he acknowledged that, yes, their viewer count was far lower than it used to be.
0: I think it's, it's uh, clear that in the beginning, we benefited from, a, like, a huge viral push. We, yeah. a, we benefited from a lot of press a lot of product features, um, that's bound to end, as I've seen in my career and other products. So I think, yeah. you know, we, I would hope to get a viral push from every show we put out. Um, it's great. But the important thing is that there's sustainability to the business. And-
3: then they moved on to a presentation about HQ Words.
0: I'm to Russ. Um, okay.
3: Russ, who is now the company's chief creative officer, said hello to Carrie and walked behind Colin to flip over those two black poster boards. They revealed some mock ups of future shows as if to suggest this is only the beginning.
0: So, you know, these concepts are all in different phases of completion. We'd love to show you the one that's launching imminently, um, which is
2: called HQ Words.
3: Then he played a little demo video finally, Russ launched into one of his Steve Jobsian spiels.
5: Yeah. In creating HQ Trivia, we really tried to embrace constraints. Yeah. Um, we did
0: this similarly in Vine, right? Six seconds square looking videos. Yeah. Perfect to this new generation of creativity. With HQ Trivia, we really paid attention to what are the kind of constraints and limitations around the experience that we can build in to yeah. make this fit into people's lives. So it's short, right? It's 12 to 15 minutes long. It's portrait orientation. You can fit it into your hand. And there's a level of engagement that is required throughout the whole experience here with words. Listening
3: to the tape now, knowing about all the managerial infighting and worries about viewership, it's impressive just how relaxed they appeared in front of Carrie. She didn't sense anything seriously abyss in the room. They wrapped up, and as the PR person showed her to the door, she brought up
4: Colin. When I had walked out and their PR rep at the time had told me, being like, how did he do? He was so nervous, because this was the first time that he had done really an interview, like a thorough interview, which is fascinating for a guy that's been in the industry for so long. He was, you know, one of the founders of Vine, and Vine was this crazy internet sensation, but Colin never really got the spotlight, and that was kind of on purpose for him, you know, because he wasn't that type of guy. And then here he was, like, kind of being forced into the spotlight because they did want to give him the CEO title, mostly for the issues that were happening behind the scenes you could tell that he was uncomfortable.
3: (laughs) I'm Alyssa Bereznag. this is Boom Bus, the rise and fall of HQ trivia. From the moment Colin took the reins as CEO, he was under a lot of pressure. Though he was always forward thinking and a hard worker, he was never very interested in public facing roles. And now he was in charge of HQ, an app that seemed to draw attention no matter what it was doing. Not only that, but his relationship with Russ had been rocky since the hype days. It didn't matter that Jeremy Liu had hired an executive coach to help the two of them work through their problems. Colin replacing Russ at the top of the company only made things more tense. The staff could sense it. Colin had recently held an all-hands where he repeated the same stock phrase that he had used with Carrie, that this was a mutual decision. People who were working there at the time remembered it all being very awkward. But on a more personal level, Colm was overwhelmed. Employees at tech companies, especially coders like him, don't always have the best work-life balance. Both startups and big corporations are famous for offering their employees cushy perks that incentivize them to spend more time working. Commuter shuttles with Wi-Fi, free meals, on-site laundry services, nap pods. You name it, a company has probably offered it in exchange for a worker's undivided attention. HQ, similarly, was a really demanding place to work. The fact that an evening game was baked into its existence, not to mention that it often required a lot of hands-on attention to stabilize that game, meant that most of the engineering team worked until nine or 10 every night. Employees told me that Colin would go even later, sometimes calling or sacking people at two or three in the morning. He was known for having these grueling hundred-hour work weeks, He spent his entire professional career in these kinds of environments. His dad told me that even though he wanted to get married someday, his relationships often suffered because he just couldn't pull himself away from his work. His obligations only intensified as he became more essential in each company. And now that he was CEO, his day-to-day wasn't just about pushing out a build. The whole fate of HQ was in his hands. Rusty Weiner saw that.
6: He had a lot of responsibility on his shoulders to make shareholders happy, to keep people employed. And it was just all thrust upon him. And I think that's even more. Maybe he felt alone.
3: Marcus Eckert, the contractor over in Berlin who'd been with the company since the beginning, remembers telling him to slow down a little.
2: He was working quite a bit. And I noticed that, and I think it put a strain on him. And my work ethic is, I think, intense, but I also try to make sure that I get time off. And I think at that time, Colin had been working just a lot and and we were kind of talking about it and it was like, you know, 60 years from now, when I'm on my deathbed, I don't think I'm going to say, oh, well, thank God I worked on that Saturday. We're not going to say that. And so I was like, take care of yourself and don't work that much.
3: To add to everything Colin was dealing with, there was yet another leak to the press. Someone had told Kurt Wagner, the reporter at Recode, all the details of the executive shakeup that we covered in the last episode.
7: It was framed as, you know, Russ kind of voluntarily stepping down and and Colin taking over. And what I learned through conversations was that it was a lot messier than that behind the scenes. And so, you know, I started kind of pulling on some strings and trying to figure out what the real story was.
3: In early November, Kurt published a story that revealed all of HQ's boardroom drama that Russ didn't want to give up the CEO position and the HR complaint that slowed Colin's takeover. It also resurfaced those same management grievances against Colin from his fine days. His dad said the piece really haunted him.
1: Colin was never bothered by anything business-like that he could deal with or that he could answer to. But this was just like ghosts flying around. So it, it was really disturbing to him. And the first time it hit, it was one thing. The second time it hit, it was totally unnecessary.
3: But Colin had other things to worry about. He'd promised to ship HQ Words by the end of the year. So he got to work. Tim Donnelly, a writer there, remembers it was full speed ahead.
5: Colin kind of came out with guns firing and was like, let's do some new stuff. Let's launch some new shows. Let's get some new shows in the works and immediately put HQ Words into production. And let's get this going, design it, test it, cast it, and let's get that out there and try some new stuff.
3: Now, instead of just making small tweaks to a product that was losing steam, the HQ staff could funnel their talent and resources into something new. Marcus was the primary engineer on the project. He said it felt like they were working toward a real future for the company.
2: We pitched this idea to ourselves, to the investors, and to the world as, this is the future of television, right? This isn't just a trivia app. This could be anything. This is television on your phone.
3: True to his new creative title, Rush shaped the game's look and feel.
2: He usually would communicate through designs. I have this design, and then I would ask, okay, but how does it work? Like, what happens if I do this and that? And then he'd be like, oh, well, this and that would happen. And then I would kind of try and pick out problems or things that I don't understand. And then we would iterate over it.
3: And Nick Gallo, who oversaw production, found a host, a New York comedian named Anna Roisman. They got right to development, running practice shows to work out kinks and land its tone. I worked
4: seven days a week for four months straight. We would do these like Saturday morning cartoon games, sometimes for words, and then I'd like nap on the couch and then like go meet a friend and then like come back and write my script for the night game. Like it was nonstop and I was excited about it.
3: They began airing a beta version of the game to a small audience in November. For the first time in a while, people felt productive. Rusty said it brought hope to the office.
6: Although it wasn't a groundbreaking new game. It was kind of a, a spin off of what already existed. It uh, allowed them to build a whole infrastructure where multiple games could exist on the one platform. Because initially HQ was just built to be HQ, then there's a lot of groundwork you have to do to be uh, able to make an infinite amount of new games be added to that network broadcast app. So things were really moving forward at that point.
3: More after this. Water Cooler Trivia is a weekly trivia contest for work teams. It's super customizable, low-stakes weekly fun, and contests and results are even sent over email or Slack. Remote work can be isolating, so it's especially important now for teams to look for new ways to connect, and a weekly trivia contest always sparks conversation. You choose the categories and difficulty for your team, and can even choose the timing, like a Monday morning contest with results sent on Tuesday. You can even choose a personalized category that Water Cooler Trivia will write for just you each week. It's crazy easy to get started. It takes just under 20 seconds and then you receive a join link to share with coworkers and then the weekly quizzes start. Tons of companies are digging Water Cooler Trivia, from teams at Lyft, Nike, Bain & Company, all the way up to a group of high school teachers in Arkansas. A more connected work team and weekly trivia fun That's a win-win scenario. Head to watercoolertrivia.com slash boom, and you'll get four weeks completely free, no credit card required. That's watercoolertrivia.com slash boom for four free weeks. And now, back to the show. By then it was December of 2018, and thanks to everyone's hustle and Colin's direction, HQ was on track to release the show at the end of the month. The holidays were coming, and Vanessa Valorio, the office manager, planned a big company bash at this Italian spot in Tribeca called Grand Morsey.
8: So I found this place not too far from the office. Sent out the invitation, show people the location. On December 14th,
3: they all gathered there to celebrate together before everyone left the city for the holidays. Tim remembers it being a really classy event.
5: They'd rented out the whole place. Nice cocktails with, like, charred rosemary, where they bring out the torch and the plank of wood. A lot of food. There was music. There was dancing. There was a photo booth. It was
3: cute. As you might expect from a party with an open bar full of fancy cocktails, everyone was in a good mood. Scott was out of town, but Matt Richards, who was the alternate HQ trivia host, said a few words.
5: He gave a really nice speech just about how much he enjoyed working there and how much he thought the company meant to him and how much it had done for his career. And it was very sincere and very honest. And I think that he was truly grateful for everything because it had been a good gig for him. And he was he was also really good at it.
3: And actually, after that speech, Matt had to run to the office to host that night's game of HQ Trivia, which ended up glitching.
0: If you guys can't tell that I'm stalling right now, I don't know what to tell you because I totally am. Let's talk about uh, life and the pursuit of happiness.
3: And a few people at the party had to pull out their laptops and reboot the whole thing.
5: I remember there was a bunch of engineers huddled around a table, around a hotspot, because the game that night had actually gone down while no one was at the office. So they had to try to like, fix it real quick.
3: In general, there was a real sense of optimism in the room.
5: I still felt like everything was pivotal at that moment because the new words game was about to launch. There was this idea of putting a lot more things into production in the new year. So people were feeling very hopeful and very positive about the future. And at least like it would be fun and at least like it would be something worth trying. And, you know, is it the future of TV? Is it not? Maybe, are we gonna make a bunch of fun games that like go viral? That would be cool. But if not, we'll just have fun, you know, for the time being.
3: Colin was there and he was also in good spirits. He wasn't drinking. He told a few employees that he was trying to be healthier. Rusty remembers hanging out with them for a little.
6: We had a conversation where we realized, you're born in 84. Yeah, I'm born in 84. We're the same age, cool. And I had just moved to Manhattan from Brooklyn recently. So my girlfriend was telling him, I'm so excited we're gonna hang out with you so much more because we live down the street. I recall that Colin had what I would call a stress pimple on the side of his eye. He had, like, a red bump that looked like it was a stress-induced subterranean pimple on his face. So that just, to me, made me say, he doesn't look too good. You know, no one looks good when they've got a big red pimple on their temple of their head.
3: Colin ended up leaving early, but not before saying goodbye to Vanessa.
8: Towards the end of it, a lot of folks told me that Colin was looking for me. He was smiling. He was happy from what I could tell. His eyes were clear. He was, he was calling. And then he said, you know, thank you for putting this together. It seems like everyone's having a good time. You know, like, we really appreciate everything you do for us. And he told me that, um, you know, he had a previous engagement. And he wanted to thank me and say goodbye before he left. I was like, are you sure? Like, can you just stay for a little while? And he's like, no, I, I, I got to go. He's like, but I didn't want to leave without saying goodbye to you. And we walked outside, we were both smoking a cigarette, and he got into a car, and I was like, all right, I'll see you on Monday, have a good weekend. And Sunday morning, he was
3: dead. Here's what happened after Colin left the party, according to a Wall Street Journal report. He texted a woman named Julie Antonio to say he had drugs at his apartment. They knew each other from his fine days and were occasionally romantic. Late that night on December 14th, she went over to his place. They did some cocaine and he also snorted some heroin. She stayed the night. Julie told the Wall Street Journal that as they drifted off to sleep, he spoke about how he wanted to move back to Detroit and start a family. Julie snuck out that Saturday afternoon while Colin was still asleep. Soon after, she began texting him to make sure he was okay. After getting no response, she went back to his place to check on him. At around 10.30 p.m. on Saturday the 15th, she knocked on his door. Only his dog barked back, so she called 911. When authorities entered his apartment early Sunday morning, Colin was still on his bed. According to an indictment released a little less than a year later, police found empty vials, a glass-lined envelope, and a powder mixture nearby. The powder contained heroin, cocaine, and fentanyl. The New York City Medical Examiner's Office later confirmed that Colin died of an accidental overdose. Colin's dad, Alan, remembers getting the call.
1: I remember. I I woke up to my phone lit up. I had eight messages from Colin. As it turns out, I didn't have any messages from the Colin. The police were just using his phone and calling people. So those eight messages were from the police on Colin's phone.
3: Before Alan had a chance to check them, a family friend called.
1: She was kind of him and hawing it. And I finally, Ronzi, tell me. And she did. And it was, oh, I don't, you know, I can't even describe the feeling I had right then. After I settled down a little bit, I decided I didn't really want to make this a world thing. I was going to go get the body and his car and his, some of his belongings out of there. And I was going to head there today. And as if my whole family was showing up at my house, I looked at Google and saw that TMZ had it. 20 minutes later, everybody in the world had it. And quite honestly, I had no idea Colin would get that kind of attention. So that was really kind of a surprise to me. It came so suddenly that my reaction was really, who was this guy? I had no idea.
3: The circumstances of Colin's death were uniquely heartbreaking the loss of every person is. I've also heard people explain unthinkable accidents with the same bewilderment as Alan. The second that your tragedy becomes a story, whether it's one repeated by your neighbors or in the news, a distance forms between you and that memory. That wasn't the person you knew. That's not how you remembered the incident. You try to grasp onto your own reality, but that dissonance invades. The story becomes less your own when a public version of it exists. And now the whole world had a version of Colin's passing and who he was to them.
5: I remember waking up on Sunday morning and checking the news. And there was a story from the Daily Beast about Colin Kroll, co-founder of HQ, found dead in his apartment. And we hadn't even gotten any word from anyone at the company yet. I wake up
7: to a friend of mine texting me the Variety link or some link about it. Is this really happening? Is this true? This is being reported. This actually happened. It was the morning he after he died, and I read about it on Twitter.
2: I was sitting on the couch just scrolling through Twitter, and then I saw the HQ tweet. And, you know, it's this kind of surreal thing. You read it, and you read it once more, and it's like, wow, this, this changes things.
6: My girlfriend immediately broke down crying.
8: I get a text that says, I'm sorry for your loss turn on the TV, and, and I'm watching this. And, you know, you just kind of go numb. You don't understand what's happening. It's a shutdown. It's like, what happened? What's going on? Like, this doesn't make sense. Colin's overdose came as a shock to everyone.
3: He was generally quiet about his struggles with unhealthy substance use. When Colin was 19, he began attending AA meetings with his uncle, who was recovering from alcoholism he seemed to have gotten whatever issues he had under control and went on to build a really successful career. And according to the people close to him, he would drink and do drugs recreationally. But heroin? No one had heard of him doing that. It was hard to make sense of.
1: Was Colin a Girl Scout? No. I didn't really think he was messing around with heroin. I was pretty certain about cocaine, just based on stuff my younger son would tell me. He never did it in front of me. We smoked some weed together, me and him, but that was the extent of what, you know.
6: What I deduce is that he miscalculated what he was doing because there was fentanyl in it, which is the new drug that's inside all the drugs that we don't know about, and it's killing people. I don't know if it was the first time he ever did heroin. It very well could have been, or if he had done it before. I don't know how he got to that place. I guess I learned that he had more of a struggle with drugs, and I guess I assume that there's depression or anxiety or something connected to why he was taking something like that. I guess I don't have everything answered at all, really. I just know now that you don't really know what people are dealing with, and there is no way to know.
3: Eventually, Vanessa took it upon herself to call every single HQ employee to make sure they were up to date and to see if she could do anything for them while they grieved. HR sent an email to say there'd be a grief counselor at the office on Monday, and some of Colin's family members would be there to stop by and pick up his stuff. There was an emergency board meeting where Russ was made interim CEO. But there was still the question of the Sunday night HQ trivia game.
7: Initially, the plan was we're not going to go on the air. And I just had this thought, I was thinking about it all day, I said, you know what, we have to go on the air and say something. You know, this is out there, people are gonna be watching and there are gonna be eyeballs on this. We have to handle it the right way, respectful way. I said, we'll go live, we won't do a push notification, we won't be doing a game, obviously. I'll just offer a eulogy and we'll fade to black.
3: That night, there was no high energy music or flashy graphics to introduce Scott. The chat at the bottom of the screen was temporarily disabled. The app's background was just black.
7: Hello HQties, Scott here. I was looking forward to being back on air with all of you tonight, uh, but not under these circumstances. It is with a heavy heart that I must share some tragic news that has befallen the HQ family. Our friend and founder, Colin Kroll, passed away unexpectedly early this morning at the age of 34. Colin, or CK as we called him, was a true visionary who changed the game twice. First with Vine, and then with this very app that you're hearing and seeing me through right now, HQ Trivia, the game show that you love so much would not exist without him. But first and foremost, Colin was a good friend and colleague, a person of compassion and generosity, and his sudden loss leaves all of us here at HQ HQ shocked and deeply saddened. Colin was also a loving son and brother, and our thoughts and sympathies are with his family at this time. Out of respect, there will be no show tonight, but we will resume our regularly scheduled programming with HQ Trivia tomorrow night at 9 p.m. Eastern time. Colin was an animal lover. He'd sometimes bring his dog Tater to the office. As such, we are donating what would have been tonight's $25,000 cash prize to the Humane Society in Colin's honor and memory. We appreciate the messages of condolence that we've received from many of you in the HQ community. Together, we will get through this. The show will go on and it will do so forever indebted to the man and the mind who helped create it. Thank you, CK. Good night, everybody.
3: The next day, employees went to the office. It was right around Christmas time, so some people had already gone home and it was emptier than usual. There were some gold balloons that spelled out words in anticipation of the new game's launch, which had now been pushed back. They were half deflated.
6: It wasn't until going back to work on Monday to the office, walking in and Colin not being there where he's supposed to be, that's the moment where it all hit me. And I just started breaking down crying in front of the two people that work for me.
3: Tim recalls everyone gathering to share their favorite memories of Colin.
5: I think it was at that point where I realized how much he meant to people because people were in full tears. I mean, it's obviously sad when anyone dies, but not having known what his interpersonal relationships are with the other people in the office, I just saw that people were really torn up. And then the rest of the day, we just kind of like, no one knew what to do, so we just kind of went to work. I remember the office was very quiet. Someone put on the uh, Charlie Brown Christmas album, the jazz one which felt like the weird, sad, sweet vibe for the day.
3: Over in Berlin, Marcus was going through his last conversations with Colin.
2: You log into Slack, and it's like eerie silence. No one's saying anything. And, you know, there's Colin's little avatar everywhere still. Here's still a pending conversation with Colin. And then there's my direct messaging thread with Colin, where, you know, the last kind of messages were just like this technical stuff. And you had this conversation just kind of cut short because maybe he went somewhere, maybe I went somewhere. But it was just like left hanging with the implicit understanding, oh, we're going to pick it up on Monday. But we aren't.
3: Going back to work was especially hard for Rusty. He saw a cognitive dissonance there. How could they continue with HQ when Colin was so crucial to it?
6: When you think about death, you remember that work doesn't matter. And you're surrounded by a bunch of people he worked with talking about work stories, and that's kind of annoying. Let's all try really hard now and make this company and this app work the way you would want it to be. But doesn't really matter.
3: Being caught up in a job, so many inconsequential things feel so dire. The stakes can feel drastic. But Collin's death was a reminder that all that pales in comparison to the importance of people themselves, of their mental health, their well-being, and their lives outside of an office which is why it seems so impossible that this company could push forward.
6: I mean, I remember looking at Russ and thinking, now you have to deal with all this? Like, who wants this responsibility now?
3: If you or a loved one are struggling with substance abuse issues, call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration hotline at 1-800-662-4357. Boom Bust HQ Trivia was written and reported by me, Alyssa Bereznak, and produced by Noah Malalay, Isaac Lee, and Amanda Dobbins. It was story edited by Amanda Dobbins and sound designed by Isaac Lee.